Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale April 5th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, and it's going to be a little bit of a weird one this week because I am rolling solo for most of the episode. A whole bunch of stuff going on this week. Jasmine is out and about and all kinds of stuff going on, but we still need to get you your dose of Marvel Comics because... This is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details and reasons to check out every new comic every single week. We'll give you our, well, in my case this week, my three personal picks of the week. We're going to get into those in a minute. We'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out each issue by using a quote pulled from a comic this week. I think we've got a good one. Now we're going to give those awards out to all the books a little bit later, and then we're going to get into all the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues that are new to MU this week. And on top of that, we are joined by a guest for a reading club focused on comics you can read in Marvel Unlimited, or as you'll hear in our conversation, maybe best for a version that's in print. We're talking with editor at Lindsay Kohick this week to talk about Demon Days, the amazing, amazing series of issues by writer-artist Peach Momoko, uh, with some really great work by Zach Davison, which we will get into with Lindsay. But right now, let's get into our picks of the week with... Look, come on, y'all. I can't help it. We are starting with Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number 11. I am going back to one of my favorite books of the last year, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. This is issue number 11. This is the last issue before we go into the big... Captain America Cold War crossover event starting next week. And this one is a doozy. It is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Carmen Carnero. Colors by Nolan Woodard and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. Also, got a shout out. Alex Ross does the MODOK timeless variants on this issue. If you haven't seen them, if we haven't talked about them enough, Alex Ross has been doing these, uh, these timeless variants where he's painted this giant beautiful mural of all kinds of marvel villains and so we're getting the little headshots or or sort of uh, bust level images of various characters various villains across books for the last couple of months and, and going on for a little bit longer and this week we get his modok it's actually two variants one is the pencil version and one is the finished color one I, I need this. I need both of them. If any of our retailer friends out there have these two for a fair price, give me a holler. It's a hell of an issue. This wraps up this this big part of the story where, you know, we've had Steve and, and his team of invaders dealing with a MODOK and dealing with um, the power, the, the member of the outer circle. And so we get this cool double page battle splash with MODOK and the power versus the invaders. And then like, Boom, pages and pages of this this like sort of unraveling and going in all kinds of different directions. All the while, Bucky's watching this. So you've got like multiple things going on here. Beautifully choreographed action and intensity. Now, we saw in the last issue, the big giant control MODOK gave way to the regular, regular giant normal-sized killing MODOK. But then this issue has MODOK slurping MODOK is all I want to say. And that is my favorite sentence I've maybe ever said. It's really, really great. So if for nothing else, you've got to come for that. But then you also have Captain America, like really fighting the power. Great stuff. The big battle goes on and then, you know, we come to a resolution as we need to. It is a sad damn issue. Also exciting and great, but 
the, we had a, a member of the team die last issue. And so there's repercussions of that. It's not swept away. It is you, you are fully in the grief of our characters dealing with those things. So then we do go like one week later, we get this great sort of epilogue. Oh, man, just thinking about Carmen Carnero and the way that she puts so much into this. She's got really great fashion choices and little character beats and details for a scene of of basically friends just hanging out, having a barbecue on the roof of a building. You know, Sharon, Sharon Carter's outfit is really cool. You got the friends, the whole vibe. There's so much in there. It could have just been like, oh, here, I'm just going to draw like five people standing around. There's so much more to it there. And it that just goes as a credit to Carmen and the rest of the team of how damn good they are. Um, there's also a page right towards the end. You've got Peggy Carter. You've got a conversation with Steve and his friend Mia. And you've also got the redacted. And there is so much going on on this one page emotionally story-wise, character-wise. It sort of feeds off of things that have been going on, things that you know about Cap for a long time, things that you've been worried about, things that are leading us into Cold War. It's a one-page thing, but you know, stepping back and thinking about how well this, is, this story has all been told and how much is put into every single page. It's, man, this book is so good. Cold War again starts next week. It's a humdinger. If you have not been reading the Two Captains America books, Get up on it, y'all. You you still have time. I believe in you. All right, second pick of the week is Spider-Man number seven, written by Dan Slott, penciled by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell and Andrew Hennessy, and colored by Edgar Delgado with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, we were talking about um, covers and stuff like that for Cap. This issue of Spider-Man has a timeless variant by Alex Ross. It features Doc Ock. The cool thing, too, if for those of you out there who are searching for these timeless variants... The pencil version is different from the full painted version. In obviously, in not just the you know what Alex is using, but you can see that Alex refines the expressions, the positions, certain things in some of these images. He goes from what he was originally thinking into what he wants to do for his final image. So, if you if nothing else, at least seek out the pencil version and the the painted version. But the Doc Ock one is is gorgeous and it's, it's really great. There's also a really cool Carlos Gomez variant with Japanese Spider-Man and Leopardon, which um, does feed into this issue. So in this, you know, we've been talking about this series and it was the end of the Spider-Verse. And this, like, with the end of the Spider-Verse, I'm like, y'all, we have Edge of Spider-Verse going on. We've got an Infinity comic series we've got we've been teasing more spider-verse stuff what are we doing like dan slot don't go that way and then in this issue you figure out oh that's how end of the spider-verse is meant and used and i was just like you got me you got me in all the best ways it was really really great uh i won't spoil it but it's it's wonderful it's a great payoff to that so we also get this big double page spread with like dozens of spiders and I, the first one we get to, and you see it. And when I got to it, I was like, yep, Mark Bagley, one of the goats without question. I mean, I, we know that, right? He was on the show a bunch of months ago. He was wonderful, but man, he's so flipping good. So much detail in here. Uh, there are pages and pages of dozens of spiders. And it's not just like all like little figures, like, no, he's drawing detailed full Mark Bagley all the time it is gorgeous and intense and big 
There's also a tease in here into Web of Carnage, which I guess is something that's coming. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, so we'll, we'll get ready for that. There's also Spider Bots here, a big page where you've got Leopardon and a couple of other giant mechy robot spider characters showing up. I love this issue so much. It is, it's sort of like you had all these different things going on with this and, and the heroes versus Shathra, who's this big, big, big bad. She wants to destroy all the spiders and all the, the web of life and destiny and how they all come together. It feels honestly like the biggest of all the spider verse stories and in the best way possible. It's so good. And look, it's all joy and saving the day and, and wonderful stuff. And then Pete has to call Aunt May. And I, I got choked up. I was like, damn it, you bring us so high to bring us down low. I guess what you got to do, right? Hell of an issue. Lots to spin out of this. Uh, lots to dig into here. It is truly wonderful, wonderful stuff. All right, third pick of the week is Venom number 18. And this one is written by Al Ewing with art by Cafu, colors by Frank Darmada, and lettering and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, also, this has the two Alex Ross Timeless variants on it. Uh, these ones are with the Lizard. Uh, and again, if you look at the pencils and you look at the painted version, slightly different. It's really cool seeing Alex's process. Anyway, very cool. Uh, this issue is called Illumination. But like, if I was editor Devin Lewis, and I'm not, Devin's a sweet, sweet dude. But if I was, I would have called this one Talk to the Hand because... This is a, an issue in which Eddie Brock is talking to a, a, a big venomy hand. Most of the issue. And it's still freaking rules. And it is so good. And it is there was no question for me about whether this would be one of my picks of the week. That tells you how good it is. Cafu brings this sort of realism of of the art, but it also feels very comic booky. It's kind of like uh, Brian Hitch in some ways, but there's a grittiness to it. It's a little bit close to Carmen Carnero, what she's been doing on... The, uh, the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty book, but there's a sense of scope and scale and deep, deep emotionality throughout this. Because again, this is mostly an issue of Eddie in this like pool of goo in this giant mystery place talking to a floating hand. And you're trying to figure out what this is all about. And sort of as it starts rolling along and we're telling the story, Al is like weaving in all kinds of stuff. He's bringing in things that he's doing in Avengers Beyond. He's tying in stuff from Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars and Jonathan Hickman's Avengers stuff. Um, he's building upon all the stories that we've been telling in, in Venom with the various versions of Eddie Brock throughout time. He's tying in stuff with uh, Null and the King in Black and all the stuff that Donnie and Ryan and the team on the previous Venom series built up and Cafu makes it cool and creepy and weird. And then you, you like then like cut to this big splash page of venom crushing the gold goblin to remind you that, Oh yeah, this also is a big action superhero comic where you get to see venom doing some gnarly stuff. We get to see celestials in here. We get to see uh Dr. Strange and various, various other magic practitioners. Uh, we get to meet a new, version of Eddie in this. A new ver version of Eddie emerges. I won't tell you what it's called, how it factors into things, but that part was really neat. Um, we get a little bit about what the King in Black is in sort of a macro sense and, and not just that like the King in Black was Null, but like there needs to be a King in Black and Null was that one and now Eddie is one and then how that idea sort of sp spans generations 
spans cosmoses, cosmoses, um, sort of like universes. It very heady, very alluing stuff in all the coolest way possible. There's a double page spread in here that describes Eddie as the king in black and using arrows and directions and then sort of the all the different versions of Eddie that we've met, some that we haven't met, some that we might meet. And it is a mind trip. And again, it's this alluing Cafu meld together that is beautiful and weird and incredible. There's also a tease of the Venomverse in here, the Null of it all, the next Cosmos, all kinds of big stuff. Then it ends with a great line. And instead of to be continued, it says to be punch tenued. And I was just like, oh, that's so good. All right. Those are our three picks of the week. Some really great books. But before we get into the rest of the comics this week, we got to talk about last week's award, get into our community section. So last week we awarded the genetically engineered washboard abs award that came from Deadpool number five. It's a great one. And so looking for our winner this week, Ryan Doe's does it again. Finding the quote early on Wednesday saying, Alyssa, Martin, Niraj, Joe, and the rest of the gang are firing on all cylinders with the Merc with the Mouth's current run. Tons of laughs, romance, and body horror have made this book a must-read each month. I must admit I wasn't the biggest Deadpool reader until I heard Alyssa and Martin were taking the helm for this character. They are amazing creators and people, not to mention Niraj and Joe, who always seem to show up in my favorite books. Of course, uh, Ryan is referring to Alyssa Wong, Martin Coccolo, Niraj Manan, and Joe Caramagna, the wonderful creators uh, across the board for Deadpool. So glad you liked it, Ryan. And Ryan, also, get your head out of your butt and read some great damn Deadpool comics. Read the entire run that Jerry Duggan wrote and co-wrote. It is perfection. Uh, also winning this week, sort of, was Paul Warren from Infinity Flux, the comic shop in the Noog, as uh, my friend from Chattanooga likes to call his hometown. Uh, you know, Paul, you got in there two hours late, but uh, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I also wanted to thank uh, Joe Hoffman for writing us an email and great photos with his Planet Comic Con report. Uh, we dug those pictures of the cosplayers and the fun you had. We looked at, you know, saw the blog post. Joe, so, and working for Elite Comics over there at the convention seems like it was real neat. All in all, a very good time. And everybody else out there who's got some fun Megacon or C2E2 or other recent convention anecdotes for us, send us, send us, send us. We want to know. All right, it is time for this week's award name, and I'm going to go with We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions. So the award for this week is We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions. Now, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at PullList at Marvel.com. If you're the first, I will reach out to you to get you a recent digital comic of your choice. Please mark your messages as OK to read so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. But, 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 but if you're not the first one to find the quote, don't worry. We've got yet another way for you to win. We've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score some Marvel Insider points just for listening to the pod. So after you listen to this episode, go to marvel.com insider and look for the Marvel's pull list quote of the week activity. You'll be asked to identify the correct quote of the week from the four choices. 
which is going to be easy for you because now you know the correct answer. Choose correctly and you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. All right, now time to dish out that We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award. And we're going to start with Amazing Spider-Man number 23. Um, there's, you know, this one helps us get a sense of why everyone has, has become, it has been pissed off at Peter Parker. So, uh, I think one of those reasons and where I'm going to give my, we Tokyo drifted across dimensions award is Pete versus Captain America. Yeah. Peter Parker versus Captain America. And there's a really cool way that Peter uses his powers. that I don't, I don't recall ever seeing before in, in how he fights cap. So that was. It was very cool. On to Avengers War Across Time number four. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in here. It, it Honestly, it's just a fun comic book. Sometimes you just want a fun comic book, and that's what this is. Avengers War Across Time number four. I'm going to give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award to Alan Davis's art. I think we might have given it there before, but it's got just enough Jack Kirby and Don Heck stuff mixed in there with his own. You just really knocks it out of the park. All right, on to Cosmic Ghost Rider number two. Oh man, we the, there's there's all kinds of wild stuff in here. Um, there's lots of good questions and mysteries and and you know a bunch of guest stars action. It's a also a fun comic book. Uh, I will give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award half of it to the fact that Monarch Star Stalker is in here, which is just such a weird absurd cosmic bounty hunter character who wasn't even in the Marvel universe at first and then was brought into it. It's a whole thing. Um, half there. And then the other half to artist Juan Cabal, because there's this one panel of the character XL punching Frank Castle in the face, in the, in the jaw with the background just turned into shattered glass. It's a simple thing where you could have just had like a blank background or like whatever the room that they were in. But Juan takes the extra step and makes the the impact of the punch that moment, the background as turns becomes part of the action, part of the story. And you can almost you can feel that impact. It's such a simple, wonderful, wonderful piece of comic book art right there. All right. We've got issue 13 of Ghost Rider this week. It is look at like at reissue. It is gnarly as hell. There's oof, all kinds of things. Uh, there's two paths in this issue, one following Danny Ketch in the past and one following Johnny and Talia in the present. And both have just, just brutal demonic various things going on. But I'm going to give my, we Tokyo drifted across dimensions award to the scene of characters listening to something on headphones. One person passes out, one person vomits and one person blazes up and it's great. On to I am Iron Man number two, nearly one of my picks of the week. It was I was very, very close because I loved, loved, loved this issue. Uh, this one is mostly of Iron Man talking to a big fish dude. And it's great. It's great. There's Tony being kind of a tool, also way out of his depth. Ha ha ha. In multiple uh, ways. Um, the telepathic fish dude so much fun. He calls sardines Fred's and that everybody calls him Fred's. So now I'm always going to think of sardines as being Fred's. That's just the way it goes. Uh, also Doton Akande, the, uh, the, the artist here does this little anime manga touch of the cross effect on Iron Man's head representing like surprise, embarrassment. Um, you, you know it, if you see it, it's in like, you know, it's just a, a regular tool used in anime and manga. And uh, it was really great. I love seeing that in there. But I'm overall, I'm going to give 
my Wii Tokyo drifted across dimensions to the just this the story as a whole. It's really sweet. It's sad. And the idea that it's the team dedicated it to anyone whose body betrays them. That idea that like you're not in control of who you are at times. Like physically, you you want your mind is going one way and it won't your body will not go with you. Um is a very it's a very difficult thing to deal with. And uh that is sort of seen in Iron Man here. So great issue. Love I am Iron Man. This is a great series. Time to get into the sins of sinister. We are in year 1000 this week and it's horrible. Yay. Immoral X-Men number three gets us into year 1000. Uh, there are multiple Kaiju ver- sized versions of Exodus. The, um, the evangelical scary Uber mutant. It's wild. Like the concepts here are just, um, there's a line in here that I wrote down. We are in a universe where planets made of corpses orbit dead stars. So that gives you a sense of what's going on in year 1000 of sins of sinister. So, so much in here. Everything obviously feels like it's spinning to, to this big conclusion, which it is. We're getting towards the end of sins of sinister, two more issues in year 1000. And then the big finale, which is going to be uh, sins of sinister dominion. If anybody out there needs to understand what the hell a Dominion is, the Marvel.com team did a really great explainer on what the, the concept of Dominions is and goes back to Powers of Ten, and, and they really put it succinctly. Um, we'll, we'll try to put it in our show notes for you. But anyway, I want to give my We Tokyo Drifted across dimensions to those little snapshots of things that we could just explore endlessly. Here we, we get to see Limbo Incursions, giant kaiju-sized colossus, Kate Pride pirate fleets, wars in the stars, um, you know, the the red diamond queen Emma Frost, who's a living gem of Sidorak. There's so much going on in here, and it rules. Up next is Joe Fix-It number four. Um, there's a moment in here where Kingpin, he demands your money, and he also demands your dedication to proper grammar. It's one of those little Peter David flourishes that i absolutely love it's like you're this big guy is like correcting you on your grammar and you're like he just it's a disarming moment for kingpin who doesn't need to disarm you because he's not worried about you but it's it's such a cool little touch right there uh my we tokyo drifted across dimensions award is going to go to i guess I guess the fact that we have count nefaria in this issue who is super powerful who has fought and like gone really deep with the Avengers on his own in this issue. He hires a bunch of like goons to join him, including the masked Marauder Hydro man and whiplash. And like, at one point he's just like signing, he's like, these are the best we could get, but he still rolls with them. It's great. Uh, anytime you can give me uh Morris, AKA Hydro man in a book, I'm very happy. Yildare Sinar uh, does some great Hulk poses in this one too. So definitely check that out. On to Planet of the Apes number one. I thought about picking this one too because uh, it's a really, it's a it's a great first issue, but it's a very heavy read. Like it's intense, and I I guess I haven't seen any of the Planet of the Apes movies in quite a while. Uh, this is of course the first issue under our new 20th Century Studios imprint. There's a cool cover design and sort of like color coding with them. Um, so we'll see more of those as we get through into, you know, more Predator and Aliens books. Um, and there's a great cover by Joshua Kassara on this and a ton of other great variants. But now we're getting to see 
these 20th century um, comics coming together under one umbrella, which is neat. Uh, David Wachter's art, so, so good. Gritty and scary, but very sad, very haunting, very emotive. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to give my um, We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions Award to this book feeling very real. Uh, obviously, it's about um, the an ape uprising. But it's also about a global pandemic, about humanity, about extremists, about prejudice, about, you know, people hurting other people. And it's like it feels so much like a weird broken mirror of what sometimes our world can feel like. And so it's very haunting, but it's a good damn comic book. David F. Walker coming back to Marvel to do this, um, crushing it. But man, Read it on a day when you're not feeling your feels all the time, please. All right, on to Rogan Gambit number two. Right off the bat, I'm going to give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award to this neat double-page spread of a magazine interview with Rogue. It's a, it's just a cool idea. You know, you get to see there's this interview with Rogue where they're digging into, you know, who she is and, and asking her questions about stuff and her hesitancy and answering some of these questions. It's just a different storytelling tactic, but you get so much out of it. So I, I love that. I also would give the award to the text between Destiny and Mystique. Because they're the best. Greatest couple in comics, maybe, probably. Yeah, I think so. Also, this issue is Rogue and Gambit versus Black Panther. It's mostly Gambit versus Black Panther, um, but it's Rogue and Gambit versus Black Panther. It is a lot of fun. All right, on to Scarlet Witch number four. This one is jam-packed. The first couple pages alone are jam-packed on... Uh, background on Darcy Lewis, on Hippolyta, aka Scythia, on the Bacche. And it's, it's, that was just carries on throughout the issue. So you, there's a lot of stuff going on in this one. You get a lot of information on where everybody is, what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, it's great. I will give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award to the big splash page of Scythia and Wanda starting to fight beautiful choreography the colors the poses the sound effects everything is just perfection and then from there on the battle is excellent and it's like you know wanda going toe-to-toe with someone who will rip her head off and wanda being fierce and really intense and also beautifully empathetic and caring for everyone around her it's a great fight um and i love that wanda now has this really cool new arch enemy and we'll see how that plays out in upcoming stories on to Spider-Gwen Shadow Clones number two. Uh, the great line in here is like, if I die, I'm blaming you, which made me laugh. That's a silly one. Um, but I will give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions Award to all the character work that's been going on in this issue, starting last issue into this one, between Gwenok, who is a clone that's a mix between Gwen and Doc Ock. And all these other clones are Gwen and a villain. So we, we meet the sand gwen in this issue but the 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 interactions between gwenok and gwen prime are really really good in this one throughout the entire issue there's some just a couple pages of them going back and forth sharing their memories their feelings they're very similar but they're also very different all right two star wars issues for us this week star wars number 33 there's an awesome jedi move from luke in here it's just like yeah hell yeah luke do it up all the lando and holdo stuff is really really excellent i will give my we tokyo drifted across dimensions award to um the fact that this arc and this issue really kind of low-key added to the star wars mythos it sort of fit a whole bunch of things 
into spaces of the canon that we didn't really know we needed, but really fill it out, give it a lot of life and a lot of breath, add some stuff to Lando, to Luke, to Leia, to the the character of Holdo, who we only know from a little bit, and giving her a sense of deep identity into the core era of Star Wars that many of us know. So it was great. Really, really cool. Uh, And then we have Star Wars Hidden Empire number five. Another one could have been uh, one of my picks of the week. It really wraps up the entire Hidden Empire storyline and everything that's been going on with Kira just in a big, big way. I will say, if you are a Dr. Afro reader, this issue is kind of pretty key. We'll see how how things are explained in the Dr. Afro series itself, but it factors very heavily into what's been going on with Afro and what's been going on in that storyline. So if you're an Afro reader, you might want to check this out if you haven't been already. All that said, I think I want to give my We Tokyo Drifted Across Dimensions award to the fact that Palpatine calls Vader my friend and Vader calls him my my master and how that goes throughout the book and all of Star Wars. It really landed for me here in a, in a really fun way. So I love it. And also you get to see Palpatine just cutting loose in a battle and kind of enjoying it, which is terrifying and rad. All right. Last new book of the week is Wolverine number 32. This one is the, uh, you know, Wolverine versus the weapons of X and getting a, a very like clear distinction of what beasts weapons of X is. I think that's going to, there's a lot of places I give my award to, you know, I'm going to give it to that and then spin out of that. So my, we Tokyo drifted across dimensions award going to beast explaining that his weapons of X are a mix of mindless clones of Wolverine as the fist and clones of himself, AKA the beast as the head, a scientifically charged form of protest art is what he calls it. I love that. And it's a nightmare because beast right now is no good. Uh, there's a scene here where we get to see an underwater Krakoan gate, which is really neat. And then there's this underwater scene with a big creature based thing that the beast is piloting using actual Wolverine clones as its claws. Ooh, ooh, big ideas executed marvelously. So great comics this week. Those are the new issues out this week. Time for some collections. Uh, We just got a couple, and I would say the Adam Warlock Omnibus is very, very cool. A sort of digesty-sized Marvel vs. Guardians of the Galaxy book, and a cool compilation of various stories called Star-Lord, the Saga of Peter Quill, which is great for anyone who's gearing up for Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Over on Marvel Unlimited, a whole bunch of new Infinity Comics this week. We've got new issues of X-Men Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited... Marvel's Voices, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Love Unlimited, Gwenpool, Marvel Meow, and Pizza Dog, and then a new arc in Spider-Verse Unlimited starring Aranya, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. Also new to MU this week, we've got uh, the our picks from three months ago, All Out Avengers number four, Dark Web, X-Men number two, and Timeless number one. Timeless Now it's on Marvel Unlimited. Great time to catch up if you haven't, because very soon we're going to have the brand new Avengers series by Jed McKay and Sia Villa and crew, and it's going to be pulling from Timeless. So definitely perfect time to check that out. And then there's a ton of extra books actually added to Marvel Unlimited this week. Some just like wild stuff, various stuff like the Marvel Mystery Comics 70th Anniversary Special from 2009, 
the Marvel Pets Handbook from 2009, a bunch of random issues of 1970s Marvel Premiere, uh, or Marvel Presents, or Marvel Preview, Marvel Romance Redo from 2006. I think it's 2006 where like they take the old Marvel Romance comics and sort of um, rescript them in really wild ways. You're going to check those out. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of wild stuff. You can see it all in the app. Uh, ooh, Marvel Team-Up Annuals, issues of Marvel 2-in-1, issues of 1960s Marvel superheroes. I mean, this is a wild week, so lots of comics added. But there's also some that have been there for a while. Maybe it's time, if you haven't done it before, to read Demon Days. There's a whole bunch of issues for Demon Days you can read. One thing I want to note, they are all titled differently so it's demon days x-men demon days cursed web etc etc so they're not in one specific series we may have a reading list we'll check to make sure that there is a reading list on marvel unlimited hopefully for everybody to check out but no matter how you do it you can just search demon days you'll find them in the app so good we are now going to talk with editor lindsey kohick about demon days all right jasmine let's get demonic with it as we talk about demon days with editor Lindsay Kohick. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Hey, Lindsay. We are talking about demon days, uh, which is a series of comics written and drawn by Pete Moko and uh, super fun. Before we get into that, Lindsay, remind us if you've never read demon days and now you're like hyped up to read it. What's the general story? So the general story uh, is that it's, it's set in, our kind of modern day Japan, uh, most of the story. Um, and it's about Mariko Yashida, who kind of discovers that the real normal world she thought she was living in is not all that normal at all. Um, that there are you know creatures that exist in real life that she thought were only fairy tales. Uh, and she's kind of tied to them more inextricably than she could have ever imagined. And she sets on an adventure to learn more about this connection that she has. It's so much fun. It's like a classic story too. It feels like so classic, even though it's like not necessarily a story that we've told before. It feels like it's just like, it feels like folklore. Yeah, I love it for that reason. I'm glad you do too. Can you walk us through how this sort of came to be? Like when did this fall in your lap? It all started with Peach really because, you know, she came on to the scene as a really talented uh, artist and cover artist specifically. And, and she also had an interest in sequential storytelling as well. So she wasn't just a cover artist. Um, she had like some sequential work that she'd shared with us. And we were really interested in giving her, you know, a shot on some interior work. But for one reason or another, it was going to be, you know, they wanted to do something kind of outside of the 616 Marvel canon and kind of let Peach use the full extent of her imagination to create something kind of her own while still being, you know, having the Marvel flavor. So I, they asked me if I wanted to edit it since I have like this background in Japanese and Peach works with her husband, who is also kind of her translator, uh, Yo, and they work together to communicate with us. And um, so having, having a little bit of Japanese background is helpful. And also I just love the, the lore, the mythology, like the stuff that she brings to it is really fascinating to me. Um, so with Peach, she and I and, you know, Nick Lowe and CB, like some other people, some other editors at Marvel, we all worked together and developed this kind of Momoko-verse <laughs> uh, Marvel Universe Demon Days project. I want to step back for a second because what you just said is wild for <laughs> an artist to come in 
and for us at Marvel, you guys to be like, hey, it would be cool if you not just did some cool stories, but like created your own section of our publishing world and created versions of characters and just went wild and did it completely in your voice, your tone. How would you feel about that? Like that does not happen. That is so freaking cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really special. A touchstone for me uh, in envisioning the project was like Marvel 1602, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, and just like the idea of taking familiar characters, but kind of like reflavoring them in a different universe or with a different, you know, um, like source to draw from. And so for Peach, a lot of it obviously comes from Japanese folklore and mythology. Um, and just like seeing that that fusion uh was really cool and it, it made me think a lot of 1602 and that's kind of what I would keep going back to and trying to think of how do we do this <laughs> thinking about that process and stuff y'all talk to peach and you're like okay what if you did this and, and sort of like come up with your own stamp on things what's that process look like is it okay here's here's a, a general idea of the story I want to do here's the the sort of Japanese folklore I want to touch on here's character designs what what comes first how does that all work together because there's a there's so much that goes into just creating this. It's not like she just goes, okay, and starts drawing that like that just doesn't happen. Well, you say that, but then sometimes I feel like that's exactly what she does. <laughs> that's amazing. She, that's even better. She just really just comes oh. up with these things where I'm like, yep, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, obviously there is like, you know, a conversation that we have about everything, um, but she has come up with some really cool stuff that like I wouldn't have even thought of. And I think that where we started was, you know, she she would come and say like, I want to work on these characters. And I'd be like, well, those are really cool characters. But, you know, if we want to kind of get this into the spotlight as quickly as possible, we should probably also include the most classic Marvel characters we can think of. Um, so we did a kind of like a combination of those two. So she really loves Mariko Yashida. Um, not the most popular Marvel character probably, but like she really wanted Mariko to be the main character. And I'm like, that's cool. I think we can, we should do that. Um, and then also weave in these other kind of the big, bigger, more iconic Marvel characters around her. Um, and so that's kind of how Mariko became the you know centerpiece. Um, and the way that Peach redesigned her was real cool. And she made her just <laughs> a real like kick butt magical character. But then we pulled in, you know, I think for Demon Days, we pulled in uh, Thor, Storm, Black Widow, and a few other like kind of bigger name characters, Thor and Storm were probably my two favorites because she reimagined them, which is like, has it's kind of like in keeping with their canon lore where they're gods-ish, Thor more than Storm probably, but they have that kind of like godlike flavor and she made them the gods of lightning and thunder and wind from Japanese mythology. And I'm like, that's, that's great. That's perfect. And they, they look awesome. And it was just so fun. Those are like my favorite touches in in this series is like where the new lore and like the, you know, what we've expected or what we've seen in, in the canon of like the 616 is still kind of like parallel. Like they still echo each other. Like you can see the silver samurai in it. You can see the like the red samurai stuff. You can see the like Ogun like references and nods to it. And it's like you're still playing with these characters and like that history is still there and can like inform mm -hmm. these. Because like I knew so many people who didn't know who Ogun was supposed to be. And so they were like, this is cool. Like, it's just two sisters. And, and like, most people didn't even know who Mariko was until, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is who they are. And it's just cool to see other people, like, learn about these characters for the first time, even if they are a different, like, you know, variant of them. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I was remembering also Wolverine was a big one yeah. that we used in Demon Days. And that for me was, was really fun because on the one hand, you know, Peach was like, I think I want to make Wolverine a wolf. And I'm like, that's cool. And then my the back of my head, I'm like, but a wolverine is not technically a wolf. Yeah. These are two different <laughs> animals completely. But wolverine as a wolf is like such a cool idea. And it's so like Princess Mononoke. I was like, it's the vibe is so strong. And the, the cool factor, the wow factor is there. Uh, so let's definitely roll with that. And that's how that is how wolverine became a wolf. Forest guardian spirit <laughs> in demon days. <laughs> you know, I. I'll say I I didn't get the silver samurai until really? you said it. So that's that's great. I'm you know it it makes a lot more sense. I like sure. my rereading of it. I was uh, I was going through. And I was like that's the only one I had the question about. But I also like that it's not like maybe I missed it. But I don't see us going and being like this character is this. This character is this. It's like here it is. You see what you see. If you don't, you don't. It's it doesn't take away from the story at all. It just adds to it for those that that pick up on the pieces. Some of them are very overt, but some of them aren't. It's just great. Like I didn't. The same thing goes for like Nightcrawler. Like I didn't pick up Nightcrawler until like way later, and I'm like, oh, like that. That's really cool. And like if you like, there's like one or two panels where you get that bam, like lettering. And, and if it wasn't for that, like I don't think I would have noticed it in my second reading. But still, it's like it's just a cool way to play with these characters. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to say uh, before we move on from like these designs is like one of my favorite things that uh, Peach does here with Mariko's design is she does the like the armor where it's like that chin armor. And like that is something that's like all over her work. Like if you go to like some of her previous work, you see like she just loves a good chin armor iconic piece. Yeah, it's great. It is. It's like you said, it's very iconic Peach. It's very... um kind of like related to the the aesthetic and the lore uh and she just makes it look real cool every time she draws it um so yeah a part of this that we we do have to shout out is zach davison who is the english adaptation the dialogue can you explain how zach comes into it and and sort of like how important that piece is to bringing this to reality yeah i, I was actually thinking about zach just a second ago when we were talking about the the bamf and the uh the like the little nods to marvel continuity uh, because he really did, I mean, A, he's an amazing uh, translator and writer. One of his specialties is the like, yokai and uh, Japanese folklore. So like that, he was just like the perfect, you know, everything we need, like ticked all the boxes for this project in particular. And he also knows a lot about Marvel comics history and continuity. So like he, in his, we, we credit him as a, a co-scripter because he didn't like strictly do um, translation per se. Like Peach would put down what she wanted you know the basic dialogue to be but really her her like focus was on the visual storytelling more so than the written storytelling she would just lay out all of her pages and put the script on the page in Japanese um, and then give me like a a translation document for like this is what it's going to be and then if we needed changes anywhere she would just relay out (laughs) the pages and just like fix the layouts instead of fixing like changing a word document or anything you know what i mean like just like a writer tends to work she definitely is like visual first and foremost uh, and then once once we like get the story to where we want it to be she would continue on with the art and then somewhere in between i would send zach her original layouts with the japanese text in it um, and so zach would come along and like take what she started and kind of like get it up to what we expect you know from marvel comics and from western comics in particular and he would throw in lines that kind of harken back to 
Marvel comics in a cool way. Uh, he'd make sure that we had our BAMPs and our THWIPs like <laughs> later on. And uh, he's a great collaborator and he was really important to bringing this project together. Um, I wanted to mention also the uh, yokai files that are in the mm-hmm. backs of these because they're awesome. And you mentioned that Zach has this this you know great knowledge base for the, the yokai that show up. Can you explain a little bit to any of our listeners who, one, don't know what a yokai is, two, how that process comes together? Yes. So uh, trying to make this um, easily understandable to people who are not familiar with Japanese folklore was always a little bit of a challenge, um, but I think I think we achieved it fairly well. The yokai are like, yokai is just like a word for um, kind of like spirits and creatures, uh, maybe what we would consider demons sometimes in, in Western folklore, um, but they're not quite like the Western conception of a demon. Um, so we actually tried to avoid using the word, despite the, the title, we tried to avoid using the word demon too much in, in the actual text when the characters were talking for that reason. And Oni, which is what Mariko is in the story, uh, are like a type of yokai, who are like one of the more common, ty- like more, more popular in pop culture types of, of yokai, who are the kind of closest to what we conceive of as a demon in Western mythology. And, um, but the yokai are everything like they, they span, you know, from like traditional, like the fox spirits and stuff to like toilet monsters, like (laughs) anything can be a yokai in, in Japanese folklore, um, which opened up so many, you know, possibilities for how to reimagine different Marvel characters. And they're also like, there are yokai that, you know, existed like hundreds of years ago in, in Japanese mythology. And then there's ones that are as new, like they keep kind of populating uh, Japanese like psyche and mythos today in like new forms and stuff. So that there are ones that are more recent that were also included in, in Peach's story. Because one of the things that I think was really important to Peach was spreading an understanding of Japanese like folklore and culture to places that may not necessarily be steeped in it, you know, at, anywhere basically outside of Japan. And um Obviously, we have a, a good readership for that, a wide readership for kind of like teaching people about this kind of stuff. Um, and so that was really fun for me, like as someone who has always been interested in Japan and Japanese um, culture and mythology, it was so fun to get to work on those with Peach and Zach. I loved like because Peach would turn in the creature sketch. She would choose which ones she wanted to feature based on the story, um, turn in the artwork, which I was like, this is so cool. And then we'd, I talked to Zach, and then Zach would like send in a write up, and I was like, "This is so cool!" And then, <laughs> and then our amazing like shout out to uh, Jay Bowen in the Marvel bullpen who designed the ancillary pages for this book, and and because he just did a great job with making them look cool. Also, at the end, yeah, they feel like a natural part of the story as opposed to just like, oh, here here's a, a bonus page. It feels just like this is more of of this world. And, and in, even though it's not set in that specific world, it's just, yeah, Jay's great. Um, I'm glad you brought him up. The other thing, well, the, I wanted to ask be, based on these yokai, did you have any favorites that you either had not really known much about or that you were like, yes, she included, you know, this one that, you know, I've been a fan of. I mean, I, I talked about him before, but Raijin and Fujin, the gods mm-hmm. of thunder and wind, like, so- always going to be my favorites just because like they're awesome and I, I love god stuff and uh thor is like my favorite marvel character so uh i was a little bit biased but um also i just have like the statues of Fujin and raijin like you kind of see 
all over Japan, outside of temples. Um, and so when I saw them in the artwork and I saw how they were included and I read the write-ups about them, I just like immediately hit with like that nostalgia of like, this 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 is awesome. This feels so cool. What about you, Ryan? Did you have a favorite one? I, I like um, Halbo Hulk is mm-hmm. <laughs> referenced from in one because it's just so cool and so cute. I think that, what is that in Blood Feud? I think we get his. Mm-hmm. An evil spirit of heaven. Like, that's me. I'm an evil spirit of heaven. Oh, <laughs> it was so great when, when I, I think that was one of the designs that Peach turned in that I was just like, this is perfect. I have no notes. <laughs> uh, I think my one note was that uh, when she first turned it in, his loincloth was like brown or something. And I was like, it has to be, it has to be purple. Uh, and then we're there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want a plushie of that, like little Halbo. He's so adorable. Right? And then maybe you can like open it up and it, like turns into like the giant. It's like one of those like <laughs> yeah. inside out, like. Turns into the monster. Yep. Like plushies. That's so good. Uh, I also do love Nightcrawler's design. He's so uh, sad. He's so he's so emo. Favorite, favorite little emo boy. That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> um, you know, one of the interesting things about this is how for Demon Days they're all sort of called one shots. You know, it's Demon Days uh, X Men or Demon Days Cursed Web, et cetera, et cetera. But they're all sequential. What was the decision behind sort of making the series a not series but also a series? So I think when we originally envisioned them, they were going to be more kind of un- unconnected, disjointed uh, one-shots, kind of all set in the same universe. Um, but Peach had this really strong idea for a continuing story that she really wanted to tell. And so we kind of did a little bit of both. I, the, the difficulty was that we knew these were going to be coming out three months apart. Um, and so we knew that that was going to be a little tricky in terms of making it like a one, two, three, four type of deal. Um, so we kind of had a through line, the the through line that Peach wanted, but then we also did try to do something special in each one, like introduce a new character or tell like a kind of like self-contained part of the story um, so that people could still enjoy, you know, picking up a, a single issue out of order from the other ones. Um, obviously then we also have the recap page and all that kind of stuff to, uh, in case anyone didn't pick up a previous issue. Um, but yeah, that, that's the kind of the, the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah. Each issue does feel very special. Like even like, I remember when we were covering these, like as they were coming out and I remember it'd be like, oh my God, this is a, a, a demon days month. Yes. <laughs> like finally. And it just felt like a big event that was like, I don't know, like I was excited to read that issue and just because I was anticipating each issue, but each issue felt like its own, like it had its own identity, its own cast of characters, and it was just great. So glad, mission accomplished. <laughs> See, I, I really wish that we were in the place where we could have made these as like old school, in the 80s and 90s, we would have like these prestige series that would be on the cardstock covers, they would be square bound, even though they were single issues that would like put them in a different stratosphere we do have a really beautiful collection of this the um the treasury edition which is big and and wonderful but like i i would i would imagine holding this and and have either of you ever read the um the akira the akira releases that we did at marvel and not the single issues yeah those are like there's a certain texture to the paper and the way it's colored and it's printed and it's just gorgeous i have a, a full run of that on my shelf and it's like that's how i picture my ideal presentation for this. Ryan. Because it's just so good. 
I know you probably don't know this because we we read the digital files for for pull list, but like each one of these issues actually came on a parchment scroll. <laughs> they were like about two inches wide when they were rolled up, but like you would have to unravel it and then slowly just like scroll through it and read it. It was really cool, actually. Uh, that's why I got to go back to the comic shops more often. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Dang it, missing out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's, uh, I, I did want to mention, it's also on Marvel Unlimited, but we released the creator's cut of Demon Days X-Men. Can you explain mm-hmm. what's, the, what's different about that version? Well, the creator's cut was really cool because it was, um, it was meant to be kind of like a behind the scenes of how Peach, you know, it came up with the story, um, kind of like her, her design work and stuff. Uh, and it was kind of also envisioned as a more like traditional manga uh format so it's in black and white i believe and we got a special kind of like black and white ish cover to go for it and um yeah it was really just more people really liked seemed to like like that first issue the um the side issue and so it was kind of just a way to give people more <laughs> of of that issue with a little something extra and more insight into peach's um creative process because uh, i think in that i think it's in that issue she talks about um how she's how she was approaching her own like her she described her own journey of of you know interior work and sequential storytelling and talking about how like she was learning a lot as she was doing it um and each issue was a little bit different for that reason because she was always you know trying new things um and she was very grateful for everyone to go along (laughs) with her on the journey of um telling telling awesome stories she doesn't have to twist my arm, like, at all. Like, <laughs> I will read anything that she puts out at this point. And she's also just a lovely human being. Like, I don't think anyone will be surprised to hear this, but she's just a wonderful person. Uh, her and her husband both. Um, they're the whole package. <laughs> um, the, you know, so we have these Demon Days issues, but there's also two uh, additional stories I kind of fit into things that I know, Jasmine, I'm glad you, you put those into our notes and, and to talk about because there's a uh, like a prelude, which feels really like kind of like fun and crucial to the whole story. And and it's something that I really wish we did more of where we put this brand new story into our big giant crossover event <laughs> in front of all the people who are reading the superhero story of the time. They get to see something completely different. And then probably one of the reasons why a whole bunch of new people got hooked on this. It was in King and Black number four. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. Oh my God. That feels like so long ago at this point, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun um, because we were, you know, starting to put together this like Momokoverse Demon Days universe. Um, it was still kind of early stages and we were like, it would be great if we could exactly as you described, Ryan, kind of like put a little bit of it in front of people who might not otherwise pick up this comic book when it comes out because, you know, they're reading King and Black, like they're reading Venom, like they're reading like the, you know, more like uh, hardcore superhero stuff. Um, And so Peach put together, like, I think it was the story that went in there was one that she'd thought of early days and we didn't really know if we were going to have like a use for it. But when we um, were looking for something to kind of tease the upcoming series we're like oh what if we take the story finish it put it in you know in king of black here um get get some eyes on it that could be pretty cool uh and i love that story because it's just like a fun little like you said it's just like a 
fun little adventure that comes out of nowhere and <laughs> uh, is not what you're expecting. And uh, and that's the, it's the, the Emma Frost and Juggernaut one, if, if I'm yeah, remembering. Yeah, that Juggernaut design is so good. It's I so love it cool. so much. It's so cool. Uh, and I liked uh, Emma. I think she was based on the Yuki Onna, so like the, uh, the snow lady, snow woman. Very, very classic uh, Japanese folklore material right there. Okay, so Demon Days is done. Uh, there's five issues that complete the story uh, alongside those two short stories, but there's still more Peach Momoko. There is. There is still more Peach Momoko. We just put the finishing touches on the last issue of her sequel series, essentially, Demon Wars. And so that's all coming out soon. And it's just more, if you thought Peach was creative uh, in Demon Days, it's like the next level in Demon Wars. Like it just kind of ramps up a little bit. <laughs> so good. Lindsay, this was great. Uh, where can people find more from you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Lindsay Kohick. Uh, just my first and last name. Nothing fancy. And uh, it's probably, probably the best place to find me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Thanks for bringing this book to us. Um, we'll definitely have you come on again when we talk about Demon Wars, because that has to happen soon. I can't wait. Once it's all out. Yes. Yes. So, of course. Thank so get you. it out, Lindsay. Hurry up. <laughs> all right. I'm, let me get back to it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for reading uh, and talking about it with me. It's been a delight. <laughs> big thank you to Lindsay for coming on and sharing all the behind the scenes info about demon days all right that wraps it up this episode of marvel's pull list was produced by me ryan panagos and jasmine estrada brad barton is pull List senior manager of audio production and development and jill deboff is our director of audio you of course can email us at pull list at marvel.com you can use the hashtag marvel's pull list across social media and please we ask you to rate review subscribe give us love tell your friends about it if you have a comic book shop let us know. We want to. We want to be friends with you. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com/slash/pulllistquoterules. Terms and conditions apply. Open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com/slash/insider to join or sign in to answer Marvel's pull list quote of the week. I'm Ryan, and this is Marvel, your universe.